All right, psychology nerds, welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. We have something really cool in store for you this week with a three-part deep dive into the very famous and fascinating 1961 Bobo doll study done by Dr. Albert Bandura. So today we're going to be talking with a social psychologist about that first study from start to finish. Why did Dr. Bandura and his team do it? How did they do it? What did they find? And what does it all mean? And my co-host for this fun little journey is becoming quite a regular on the show. You heard her on an episode in December about pop culture. You heard her in January on an episode about Camp Lloyd. And you've even heard her on an episode of my other show, All the Rage, talking about driving anger. She's a senior psychology and human development major with a minor in music. Taylor Galbrand, how are you? I am doing great. Good. So I have to ask you, do you remember the first time you learned about the Bowdoin study? So I think the first time I learned about the study was in my intro to psych class here at UWGB. Okay. So do you remember anything like as far as like details, what that was like? Did you watch video? Did you? I, I think we watched some of the video in class and I remember the kid like punching the doll, but that Mm -hmm. was about it. So, and that's kind of where I'm at too. So I have a pretty clear, now this would have been a lot longer ago uh, (laughs) when I learned about it. So this would have been like mid to late nineties when I learned about the study. But I think, I remember seeing video. I think it was an intro psych. It's possible it was in a different class, but I remember seeing video and I remember thinking it was like parts of it were kind of funny in a, like a sort of a dark way, like these kids, because I, I remember very clearly either a little boy or a little girl, um, like holding a gun, like a toy gun that she's like kind of batting at Bobo with as part of the video. Now I would be the first to admit that I may have like just made that memory up, <laughs> like inflated a bunch of memories mm-hmm. together, but but that is uh, is where I'm at. So this is a question I'm going to ask. Uh, we have a lot of guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. And this is a question I think I'm going to ask everyone. Do you remember? What's your Bobo origin story, as it were? So so before we get to today's guest, I want to tell you all a little bit about Psych Week. If you are listening to this the day it comes out, we are currently in day two of Psychology Week here at UW-Green Bay, brought to you by Bellin Psychiatric Center. It's the Uh, It's the week of March 25th through the 29th. We've got in-person and online content all week long. That includes a couple of evening events like our Psy Talks, which will be tomorrow night at the Widener Center, the brand new Psychology Spark Sessions held downtown Green Bay at Titletown. Uh, That is tonight. And our Volunteer Night, which is going to be held here on campus on Thursday. Uh, Plus, we'll have all sorts of online content, including four brand new episodes of the podcast. You're listening to one of those right now, new videos, and much, much more. All of this is made possible by Bellin Psychiatric Center, who, as you know, provides top quality inpatient, outpatient, and addiction treatment services for individuals from across the region. You can learn learn more about all of that at the Psych Week website, uwgb.edu slash psychweek. And that brings us to today's guest. She's a social psychologist who is also a regular on the podcast. She's been on episodes about everything from stereotype threat to episodes on a couple of movies like The Experimenter and The Stanford Prison Experiment. Like Taylor, she was also on an episode of All the Rage talking about mob violence. Social psychologist and associate dean for the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences, Dr. Kate Burns. How are you, Kate? I'm good. Good. So... Same question that Taylor just got. Do you remember, what is your Bobo doll origin story? Do you remember when you first learned of this study? You know, I don't really. I mean, maybe it was intro psych, but mm-hmm. I don't have a clear, vivid memory of learning about it. So 
it's I don't know. Maybe I'm the wrong guest for today. <laughs> I'll just pack up my stuff and wow. go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, I suppose that's probably it's it's one of those things that I, and I think that kind of speaks to its um popularity or its importance in that you don't just learn about it in one place necessarily that it's it's the kind of study that I encountered quite a few times over the course of curriculum I don't know if this is a fair thing to say or not but I think I, I routinely hear of this study as being one of the three most famous studies in psychology is that would you to agree is that yeah I'd say I, so yeah I think I okay. mean because it is so, I mean, it gets to the heart of lots of different things. I mean, both in terms of aggression and reinforcement with behavior. So I think it crosses a lot of a lot of areas. Yeah, and that's kind of how I've uh, always thought of it too. I mean, it's one that for whatever reason, and I never know if this is just me and, and sort of how I've thought about it or if this is true of others, but when I think of the, the big three uh, studies in psychology, it's Milgram. It's the Stanford Prison Study, and it's this. Um, interestingly, those other two have both had movies made about them uh, in the last couple of years, um, which Kate, you have, I think I've been on the, the podcast talking about both of them. Yeah. Um, I like that the big three includes all social psychology studies for you. Yeah. I think we just get rid of all the other disciplines of psychology, and we just all we need is social psych. Very nice. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. It, it, some of you know some of what makes those studies pretty famous is that they weren't super ethical. So if you, you know, want to hang on to that, yeah, all very well tied to social psychology. Yes. yes, I will. I will take that. Yeah. So. Um, part of me likes to think that they did make a movie about the Popadol study, and we, it's just called It, right? That movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's. I kind of want to go through this study for, because even though people know about it, and I think it's got a lot of, I don't think it's something where most people have read the article. I don't think most people really know the nuts and bolts. And so I wanted to dedicate this first episode of our three-part series to the nuts and bolts, to go through the article essentially um, from start to finish. And so um, let's talk about, let's start with the intro. Like, what's the rationale? Why did he, they actually, you know what, you've got the article in front of you. Can you tell us who the authors were? I do. So Albert Bandura's first author, but then we've got Dorothea Ross and Sheila Ross. Okay, very nice. So, and it came out, like I said, in 1961. And since you've got the article right in front of you, could you tell us the journal? Is that it? Is the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology? There so we we're go. like the perfect people yes. to be right here. Nice, thank goodness. So, um, so let's talk through it. So, what's the? Why did they do it? What was their rationale? Yeah, so I think that they were really interested in that reinforcement piece and trying to, you know, how do people learn to engage different behaviors and are they going to be reinforced? Um, but how do we kind of see aggression and how are people going to model that aggression? And mm -hmm. so they had kind of shown some other evidence showing that people would be more likely to model aggression, but that they were looking at it in terms of um, modeling aggression even when that person wasn't there. Like, mm -hmm. would people take that extra step to still show that specific modeling, that specific imitation? And so much of this is framed in one of the, so our second episode is going to be dedicated largely to kind of what the fallout was and why this study became so famous, because so much of this has to do with the context of what the field was like in 1961, you know, and, and that behaviorism was such a dominant force and how behaviorism, at least the version of behaviorism at the time, didn't necessarily account for some of this, right? I mean, things happen because of rewards and punishments 
and here's a case where that isn't happening, right? Um, so how, let's talk through method, because this is a place where I think method and results where people really don't have a firm grasp of how, what the study looked like. Yeah, so we're looking at having three different conditions that um, boys and girls are going to be assigned to. So um, in one condition, they see this aggressive model um, doing these aggressive acts. In one condition, they see this non-aggressive model doing non-aggressive things. And then in the third condition, they don't get exposed to a model at all. They just okay. go straight, essentially, into that observation-dependent measure um, that they're trying to, to see how the kids would react. Do we know, how were they exposed to it? Was it video? Was it uh, they just something they watched? Yeah, so that they were right there. So they were in a room with that model, and that model was either a man or a woman um, engaging in that aggressive or that non-aggressive behavior. So the kids basically like at a table working on a little art project and then at the same time in the room next to them um, there's this model if they're in the aggressive or the non-aggressive condition doing aggressive or non-aggressive things okay what are the, when we talk about aggressive or non-aggressive things give some examples of what they were doing yeah so they try to be aggressive both in terms of physical and verbal aggression so for the physical aggression they try to be kind of unique so that that way they could see that specific modeling um, so they had in the same room with them the infamous Bobo doll, um, but they also had like it was also in the room with us. Yeah, right? I know yeah. it's a so. little disturbing. <laughs> staring at me, but okay. Yeah, um, they also had a mallet, which luckily we don't yes. um, have oh. that mallet with us. Had I known we needed one, I would have provided. Yeah, maybe for maybe the other parts you could bring that in. Parts two and three. Yeah. Um, they also had like a tinker toy set. It's kind of like the non-aggressive possibility that was in there. Um, and yeah, so for the aggressive stuff, they were looking at um, aggressive acts like sitting on the Bobo doll and like punching it in the nose repeatedly or using that mallet to hit the Bobo doll or like picking up the Bobo doll and like kicking it. So it wasn't just like pummeling the Bobo doll like right. as you might do just because right. you have It's fun, right? Because it yeah. bounces back and well, forth. Well, and that's the, one of the things that's interesting about this study is that, I mean, it there the the toy in question is literally made for hitting, right? That's mm -hmm. like, and so in that sense, you know, they chose something and, and they gave people objects that are used, a mallet that are mm -hmm. used for hitting. Granted, my brothers and I use Tinker Toys for hitting as well. <laughs> so, you should have been in the study. Yeah. You skewed everything. So I had some modeling uh, early on <laughs> taught me that I'm supposed to hit with Tinker Toys. So, um, but, you know, it, and so it, I, I mean, because I've heard of that again, for people who, who don't necessarily know the nuts and bolts and the fact the existence of control groups and, and other experimental groups that it's like, well, of course they hit it. That's what it's for, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think in that sense, it, it is an interesting object of choice mm -hmm. that they could have used. Um, so they looked at not just hitting, you were saying, they looked at yeah, so they also had some um, verbal aggression in there, too, that they were interested in, so that they were saying things that were aggressive um, as they were hitting the, the doll. So, you know, they were saying things like pow or kick him, hit him down. Uh, but they My were... mind went to a much more aggressive Okay. <laughs> you know, since the 1960s, you get okay. think about that historical context okay. with said, children. Yeah, when you said pow, I was genuinely surprised. Okay. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> it's kind of like Batman, right? Yes. I think it was like little speech bubbles going to come up there, nice. too. Very good. Um, 
They also said some non-aggressive things. So they said he sure is a tough fella, mm-hmm. and oh, he okay. keeps coming back for more. All right. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm I don't not know. sure I like those. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they got. Okay. I see. Yeah. Very interesting. So um, now you said, so we've, we've split this up into a whole bunch of chunks already, yeah. right? Because we have three groups. Yes. But we also... Do we split it up by gender of the participant? Is that true? We or? did. So it's like it's almost like a three by two by two if you want to like without yeah. some research methods knowledge, but not because they didn't exactly do that for the control condition. So they oh, had like I the see. control condition, the aggressive condition, the non-aggressive condition. So that's our three. But then they have either male or female kids, and then a male or female experimenter as that model, gotcha. um, enacting that behavior. Gotcha. But I guess the control group didn't have a model They at didn't all. have any models, so that's so, why it's not that full three by two by two. Got it. Mm-hmm. But that, okay, but they still, the control group was either boys or girls, so yes. they did split that up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what, when it comes to, like, dependent variables, one of the, what are they measuring? I mean, I know they're measuring, but I guess maybe a better question is how are they measuring? Is it, like, number of hits while you're in there, or is it more qualitative or quantitative? qualitative than that how are they taking that yeah so i guess i want to back up a little bit before they get to that um so that they do that in one room and then they actually move the kids to a different room um, to see if they can kind of like um, generalize that behavior in that different context but before they do that they frustrate the kids a little bit of that they're in this room and it has all these awesome toys and they wait till the kids get a little invested in playing with those toys and then all of a sudden they're like hey I saved those toys for the best kids. You can't play with those. So the kids are now frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then we get them into a different room okay. um, to measure their behaviors. And in that that later room, the room that we actually want to see them in, that's where they have that Bobo doll and the mallet. But they also have things like dart guns and then some other non-aggressive options like a tea set and dolls and okay. Um, okay. yeah. And so that they are looking at their behaviors um they give them some t- they give them 20 minutes is how okay. long they give them and then they break it down in terms of like were those behaviors shown within 5 second intervals oh, so okay. some interval coding there oh wow okay so yeah. they videotape and or do they do it live or I think they are doing it live okay you know, again 1960s yeah yeah i mean they have some video cuz we've seen some yep. but yeah but probably not all of the that would be that would actually be a process now that I think about it. That would I mean, be a whole lot of coding. Yeah, yeah. I have to go back and do that. You'd have, yeah. And you'd need a projector with like a, yeah. <laughs> one of those rolling things that I see in movies. All right. Um, so, okay. So they basically every five seconds they're keeping a tally of things like hitting, punching. Yeah, so they want to look at it in terms of that specific imitation piece, right? Because they are trying to be so distinctive. So they want to see like, you know, our kid's just hitting Bobo, right? Mm-hmm. And so that would just be general aggression. But are they specifically imitating the, you know, um, sitting on Bobo, punching it in the nose? Are they specifically imitating the throwing it up and kicking it in the air, using, you know, the mallet on it, as opposed okay. to just, you know, your natural inclination to hit it? Um, but then also coding things like, are they saying those aggressive things and those non-aggressive things that they heard? Wow. Okay. So what... Um, and that feels different. That's interesting because so in the past when we've talked about the Stanford Prison study, I've one of the things I've taken issue with has been the lack of a dependent variable. You know mm-hmm. that there's nothing, I guess, quantitative there or very little quantitative there. In this instance, 
that isn't the case. In this instance, they're actually taking this and turning it into something quantitative. And okay. So anything else about the method we should know? I think those were the highlights, Taylor. Did you want to weigh no, in on anything? No, those were basically, yeah, everything that I have down. So. All right. I should point out so that it's our fact checked. Nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. Our Bobo has a nose that will squeak if you hit it, which is which is nice inherently. It makes him socking him in the nose like that much more satisfying. Exactly. <laughs> he need, keeps coming back for, for more. more. <laughs> sure is now. a tough fella. Sure nice. is a tough fella, nice. yeah. So now he rode the elevator down here to see us on his own, which was actually a scary moment for me. I was worried people were gonna Someone was going to get in the elevator and get scared. It's like a possible lawsuit. Right I know. At the university. Yeah. So I probably shouldn't have done that. But I had to run back from my office for something. So it seemed reasonable. So what? Um, all right. So we're through the intro. We're through the method. Let's talk about the results. Because this is something I think most of us know only in a sort of very broad, generalized way. Like kids did what they saw, right? So let's break it down a little bit more. Yeah, so I guess to break down the they did what they saw is that they looked at that complete imitation piece. And as you might expect, kids who haven't seen those specific behaviors don't imitate them, right? So mm -hmm. kids in that non-aggressive and that control condition aren't sitting on Bobo and punching it repeatedly in the nose. But the kids in the who saw that, right, as part of the aggressive condition are. So they have some nice evidence that yeah. it is that complete imitation that they're seeing. Um, but they see that both for like that physical aggression as well as that verbal aggression then too. So that kids are repeating those verbally aggressive phrases. And then what's interesting is that they're actually repeating that non-aggressive mm -hmm. comments as well about the fella and the, and the, <laughs> and the tough fella and the coming back, coming for, back more. for more. So gotcha. really kids are just, just really big imitators. Doing what they see. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. There, do we have uh, do we have numbers as far as like percentage of kids who do this or? Oh, sure. <laughs> really tough, tough question. Um, have you memorized this article? Cake? I have so. not memorized this article. Um, I don't know. So I mean, they give the the percentage that seventy percent of the kids had zero scores for oh. no aggression uh, in terms of complete imitating oh, okay. for the non-aggressive and the control. Oh, okay. But otherwise, they have it broken down more in terms of like actual units, right? Mm -hmm. Like number of times within those okay. those intervals. Um, so I don't know. I could throw some stat like so punches Bobo doll. We've got like you know 18, 11, 16, 6. Like right. kind of depending on what gender the kid was and what gender they saw. Okay. So now I should the caveat here is I'm going to assume that this article is out there in the world for free. And if it is, I will post it along with nice. uh, this in the show notes so that people can take a look at it. If it's not, then I'm not going to do that. But, okay. <laughs> but if it's right. already online someplace, and I'm assuming it is, um, I'll, I'll make it available to people. Um, uh, very good. So I'm particularly, can we, let's talk about the control group for a second, because I think that part is particularly interesting to me, the group that saw nothing, just mm -hmm. simply because the toy is designed to be punched or, or hit in some way. How did they react? Yeah, so that, that kind of gets at their partial imitation. So they are interested mm -hmm. in also, like, if you're punching Bobo, right, like, that's aggressive, but that's not the specific aggression that they showed. Okay. Um, so that's where their evidence was not as strong as you might expect because it's a 
it's an aggressive thing. Or like, if you give me a mallet, right, I'm gonna want to hit with the mallet. I mean, isn't there a song about that? If I have a hammer, I, I think that's the <laughs> sequel. If I, if yeah, I if I had a mallet, mallet, I would mallet I'd in the hammer. morning. All over this land. Okay. Yeah, I think. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll take the credits if anyone wants to make that song. Yeah. Then, oh, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Some of our Perfect. listeners must be good with music. One of our. I know. Taylor, go. We <laughs> have a music minor Uh-oh. in the room. Yeah. You could just record the If I Had a Mallet song for us. We would really appreciate it. <laughs> See what I can do. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Very good. You can play it on what? What's the instrument you play? The elbow? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you play the mallet? <laughs> I oh no. I should really take that up. Yeah, my not, my lessons. Thing. She is a it's fabulous like saxophone that. player. That's what it is. The nice. the reason why I called it the oboe is because one day I ran through a list of possibilities and it took me a very long time to get to the saxophone. And you said oboe twice. Said I said oboe, oboe twice. In wow. the saxophone, yeah. way more common Dude, than yes. the oboe. And I played it when I was growing up. So there's really no good reason wow. yeah. for me not to have gotten there, but for some reason. But it's okay. I'll start picking up the mallet now. Yes, so <laughs> don't have to worry about it. It's like uh-huh. a xylophone, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of good options here. Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, anything else from the, from the results that people should know? Yes. Um, so they were looking at it. Um, also, like, so they had those toy guns in there, too. Oh, yes. Um, so important to note that, like, for kids playing with the guns or, you know, just punching the bobo doll, there were not significant differences across hmm. those conditions. So, like, if you give kids a bobo doll, if you give kids guns, right, they are going to play aggressively regardless right. of what they've been exposed to. So I think that that's kind of an important yeah. note as well. And I don't know if you said this at the beginning, approximately what age are the kids involved? Yeah, so the kids, um, so they have a mean age of four, but they range from like three to five. Okay, okay. That's interesting, because in some, uh, you know, a piece of this is going to be how, what they've been maybe, I mean, I know they, they control for this by through random assignment, but a piece of this that's interesting to me is thinking about um, what, they've been exposed to before, whether or not they've been exposed to toy guns before, whether or not they've been exposed to Bobo before or something like Bobo. Um, And I know the study controls for that, but just in thinking about development. Yeah, they actually did a nice job with that control piece. So they Mm -hmm. actually had um, some outside raters rate the kids on how aggressive they were. And then they kind of looked at those ratings and then tried to group kids, match them according to that aggression. And then they then took like like trios, three, you know, three of those kids, and then they would randomly assign them to those three conditions. So, I mean, that was that yeah. was pretty a good idea to be yeah. thinking that far in advance and to, to be that systematic. Right. Mm-hmm. What's, um, I guess, anything else about results before we... I've got some thoughts as we go forward, but I'm curious. I want to yeah, make sure I guess, so there's that gender piece then oh, too, yes. I guess, yeah. to throw in there. Um, so that for the boys that they were showing more physical aggression, but there mm-hmm. actually was no gender difference if we're looking at that verbal aggression. Okay. Very interesting. Did it matter? Did the model, was there a, <laughs> I know we're getting mm-hmm. complicated yeah. here, but model gender by model participant gender. gender? Yeah, so that, um, it's a little tricky in that, like, they have, um, so their results are not um, normally distributed, so that they had some skew in there, so they couldn't uh, exactly test for the interaction, but they kind of describe in the results that, you know, it looks like there's this interaction, even if we can't systematically test mm-hmm. for it, where that kids um, who saw the male model were more likely to be aggressive, and that was especially the case for boys watching that male model okay. being more aggressive. Okay, 
interesting. Because I know that that's been, you know, one of the things we'll talk about in future episodes is that this study's, there's been plenty of, of research and follow-up on to this sort of study. And some of it I know has looked at things like gender more carefully and, and things like that. Also looking, I think, at whether or not we, we imitate cartoons and a host mm-hmm. of other things. So... Um, what so what does it all mean like what are what's kind of the take-home message from this study to you yeah so i think that you know kids are really prone to to imitate (laughs) those adults even in a different context Mm -hmm. and you know they're just kind of soaking up a lot of different things but especially problematic in terms of that aggression piece right? right and thinking about you know how we live in a society that we see so much aggression that we mm-hmm. maybe take for granted that you know kids are not taking that for granted they are learning a whole lot from that right and i think it's really again we'll spend way more time on this in a in the next episode to me one of the things when i oftentimes when i tell people this and we talk about the study in a modern context it's something that people say well every parent knows this right yeah. every parent knows that their kids imitate what they see on tv you know and um, or or some or some other place, but I also I do think it's important to remember that in 1961 that exposure to some of that was much more limited. I mean, we, many houses didn't have televisions, you know, many and there were so there's a lot of um, I think like video games were not you maybe had Pong. I actually don't know when Pong came out, but nah. um, so there was it was much more limited, and so some of the things that we you know, the kids are exposed to early now, kids were just simply not exposed to. That said, like, the most uh, s- the, the most um, popular television shows at the time were all Westerns, and so I think mm. gun exposure may have been pretty high. But. Yeah, well, I mean, which also explains why they didn't really find a difference, right, yeah. if kids are just playing with those guns. Right, mm. so. So do you think, how important do you think this study is? Does it belong in that top three, or is it, like, what is your take I mean, it is definitely a classic. It's relatively well-designed and compared to some of those other ones that you were citing right. in your top three. Especially the prison stuff. Yeah, with more control. <laughs> Sorry, that's my editorial. Not, nice, not. nice. But I don't know. I mean, I think it is it, it is kind of like at this pivotal moment, right? And mm-hmm. I think being able to kind of show and empirically demonstrate something at a pivotal mm-hmm. moment can make it have a huge impact. And, yeah. you know, Bandura has had a big impact on the field, I think, mm-hmm. because of this study. Yeah. Yeah, that's my take, too, is that I think in some ways, again, in a modern context, the findings aren't surprising. But I think, like you said, well-designed. Um, and I think the way you described it is really exactly right. I think this this pivotal moment, you know, that it came at a time where I think it really changed the trajectory of the field in a, in a significant way um, that was... Um, uh, you know, that's had lasting effects. And, and so in some way, the context is what makes this really famous, as well as, you know, one of the, so sp- spoiler alert, um, I, I got to have dinner with Bandura. We're going to talk about this next episode. But I had dinner with Bandura once. And, you know, one of the things he talked about was having having that footage, that video, mm. and, and that that is one of the things that tends to make studies um, more famous, and when you think about some of the most famous studies in history, there are studies where there's some good video uh, evidence. I mean, both the, the Stanford prison and uh, the other. And so, uh, 
The Milgram. Milgram, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so basically we should just yeah. videotape our studies and we're guaranteed to be famous. <laughs> there we go. I think well, it's a take-home message yeah. here. And, and quite <laughs> honestly, if you think about some of the other really famous ones, you think about the marshmallow test yeah. is another one. You think about uh, the invisible gorilla, right? A lot of our most famous, well-known studies are ones that have gotten, um, uh, that have a lot of um, some really interesting video footage to go along with it. Just instructors need something to show during class. Yes. So if you have a video, you're set. <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> Unfortunately, my studies are super boring to watch. It's like, look at this person. Take this anger survey. I don't know. So, Ooh, <laughs> you <can> try it out. <laughs> so, very good. Any final thoughts before we finish up from anyone? Um, I don't know. I've just really liked learning about this study and doing research because I know I'm going to be in a field where I'll be working with kids, and I have in the past, so mm-hmm. it's really, really cool to see that there's evidence to prove that what I'm doing impacts these kids, so I need to be a positive role model and things mm-hmm. like that. Very nice. Anything from you, Kate? I don't. It's going to make me think about what that origin story was. I'm going to have to think some more <laughs> see if I can remember when I first learned about this study. If I know anything about myself, it's that I am probably conflating multiple memories into yeah. one. <laughs> and so it's probably like a combination of like a YouTube video I watched once coupled with something that happened in class, coupled with something that happened in other class. But it all comes together that I think it was in my intro psych class at Lawrence University with, I think, Dr. Hexler was his name. Um, but I don't know that for sure either. Dr. Hexler, if you could email <laughs> yes. Ryan, that way could we can you, know for sure. Could you verify that in the 1995 intro psych yeah. class that you Do were you have teaching? your attendance still <laughs> for that day? <laughs> I don't want him to go over attendance. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't want him to, I don't want any reporting of that. Um, very nice. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Burns. I appreciate your being here to take time for this. That's going to do it for this first episode of our three-part series. Special thanks again to our guest, Dr. Kate Burns, for taking us through this classic study. We are going to be back tomorrow with two different guests talking about the fallout from this study, what happened to Dr. Bandura after the work was published. In the meantime, we want you to go find us on Facebook at Psychology and Stuff, on Twitter, Psych and Stuff. It bugs me that those two addresses aren't the same, by the way, that one is Psychology and Stuff and the other is Psych and Stuff. But if you search for both, you'll find them. And I only have myself to blame for, by the way, I'm the one who did that. But go there, ask questions, suggest an episode, and more. I also want to thank our producer, Kate Farley, her intern, Preston Fisher, our podcast artist, Kimberly Vlees, and, of course, Taylor Galbrand, who is on this journey to learn more about Bandura with me. Thank you very much, Taylor. You're welcome. Make sure to join us for the rest of Psych Week, brought to you by Bell & Psychiatric by visiting uwgb.edu slash psychweek. Until then, keep being amazing. Mm